Morning, everyone. You guys doing good? Uh, firstly, can I just congratulate the Netherlands on an awesome victory uh, last night in uh, the Eurovision Song Contest. Um, congratulations. Uh, if you didn't watch it, the United Kingdom came in glorious last place. Last place. Uh, where are the days of Buck's Fizz? Anyone remember that? Making your mind up. I'm going to sing, no, I won't sing it to you, but those are the glory days, weren't they, of Eurovision. Uh, if you're too young and you don't know who Bucks Fizz is, God bless you, you didn't miss anything. Um, <laughs> so, uh, really warm welcome to you if you're here as a guest. It's just great to have you here. And uh, just a, a quick uh, thank you from me and my family. Some of you will know that Carol, my wife, she uh, got diagnosed a few weeks ago with ME with uh, kind of chronic fatigue syndrome, and uh, I just, I wanted to say thank you just on behalf of our family, just for just the love and the care and the support that we've received, and we just, we genuinely do feel so loved, and the amount of flowers that have poured into our house has been remarkable. I've had to buy new flower vases, uh, because they've just been pouring into the house so much, and uh, we, we, I think it's at times like that, you just, you're so grateful to be in family. And you just realize you're not on your own, and you realize that you're in a community that loves you. And that honestly makes all the difference in those kind of moments where the pressure's on and things are a bit more challenging. And uh, Carol just sends her hello, and she misses you. And uh, she can't be here on Sundays at the moment just because of how she's feeling. But please be praying for her. And uh, just know she's actually in herself doing really, really well. She's learning to play the piano. So there you go. She's redeeming the time that she's got at home. And, uh, but thank you so much for your prayers and for your love. We just really, really appreciate it. Um, also, just to say, uh, you know, we are in this series called uh, Love Matters. And I think so far it's been absolutely brilliant. It's been so good. And I would just encourage you, if you are uh, coming in kind of halfway through to the series, I'd encourage you to go back online and listen to the messages because they will really, really help you get a big picture of uh, our kind of our train of thought through this series. Um, and I think it's, it's worth saying as well that it will be impossible for us to cover every single relational issue that there is in this church or in the world. I mean, it was uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones who famously preached through the book of Romans, and it took him 13 years to do it. 13-year series, and I think if we were to cover every single aspect of human sexuality and relationships and love and just the nuances of every single individual's situation, it would probably take us that long because people are complex, aren't we? There are so many issues to actually cover, and just to say, if we don't cover your particular issue or your particular relational circumstance, please hang in there with us. You are not forgotten. <laughs> You're not forgotten, and I realize that not every, every message, not every topic will relate directly to all of us, it will relate to some of us, but we're going to try and do our best to really serve the family, and if we don't cover the issue that you're living with, don't worry, at some point we will, if not in this series, then at some other future point, and I thought last week, hearing Andrew Bunt, how many of you were here to hear Andrew last week on singleness, I thought he did such a brilliant, brilliant job, and he was also incredibly courageous, you know, to stand on a stage as someone who would say that they are same-sex attracted, but to say they have chosen celibacy because of their conviction on the word of God, that is an incredibly brave thing to do in front of people that he does not know. And I just we really celebrate those kind of moments. But also realize that 
his take on singleness will not have covered all the issues that singles, for example, in this church will be facing in their life. His story won't be everybody's story. And so we just want to recognize that and just say, hang in there with us. Sometimes you need grace for the things that aren't said as much as grace for the things that are said. Does that make sense to you? And so I just want to say, we're going to really try our best to serve the family as well as we can in this series. And just thank you so much for the, the feedback and the comments that we're getting. They are really, really helpful. And if we don't cover it in this series, we will at some point. Um, so why don't we pray, and we're going to dive into this morning's topic together. Jesus, we, we really do love the fragrance of your holy name. Lord, we love the sense of your presence in this room right now. And Lord, thank you for that certainty we have that whenever we gather in your name, you're here among us. Thank you that you're here right now. Lord, you're here for every, every man, every woman, every visitor, every long-term king's arm, arms out. You're here for all of us. Thank you that you're the God who showers us with his love. You surround us. You hem us in. Thank you for your promise that there is nowhere that we can flee from your presence. And we thank you that right now your presence is close and is near, that you are for us, you are not against us. We thank you, Lord, for the, the certainty that Christ is our hope. Wherever we find ourselves this morning, Jesus is our great hope. And we celebrate you this morning, Lord. And I just say, rush into this place by the power of your Holy Spirit. Fill us and convict us. Lead us to your word. Feed us. Lord, we say, let your word shape the way that we think as we come to it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, we are going to look at the small subject of gender clarity and transgender. You're welcome. You're welcome. And... Um, <laughs> You know, just to say, if you are a, a visitor here and you don't yet follow Jesus or you're not even sure you are a Christian, um, this is not our attempt of imposing a biblical morality on your lifestyle. Uh, this really is a message for those who have chosen to follow Jesus and who have made the decision that the Bible is the blueprint for their, li their life. And so if you're here as a guest and you're not yet a Christian, you're so welcome here. And uh, I would just encourage you to explore who Jesus is. That is the most important question of life. Who is Jesus Christ? That's the best question you can ever ask. And if you'd like help in exploring that question, please come and talk to one of us. And we would love to help you with that question. But this morning, we're looking at this issue of gender clarity. And we're going to cover this issue um, by looking at three things. Firstly, we're going to look at a cultural perspective, which is about understanding the times in which you live. Secondly, we're going to look at biblical principles, which is understanding what the Word of God says. And thirdly, we're going to look at heavenly postures, which is about how do we live in the world around us. That's how we're going to tackle this particular subject of gender clarity this morning. So, strap on your metaphorical seatbelt, and off we go. Okay, so, firstly, the cultural perspective, understanding the times in which you live. It was a, a theologian called Karl Barth who once said this, Take your Bible and take your newspaper. He could have said your Twitter feed or whatever. Take your Bible and your newspaper and read both, but interpret newspapers from your Bible. In other words, it's not okay for Christians to be ignorant. 
It's not okay for Christians to be ignorant of the cultural issues that are happening all around us. And what Karl Barth is saying is that we should get our convictions from the Word of God, but we should be aware of the cultural context in which we live in. Do you understand that you have timeless truths that God calls you to deliver in a timely way? This doesn't change, but the culture and the context in which we find ourselves through the centuries, it changes. And our goal as Christians is to be relevant in the culture, but timeless in the truths that we believe. It's the two together. We should hold a newspaper and a Bible in both hands. We're called to understand the times in which we live. And of course, this issue of gender fluidity is one of the hot topics in culture right now. And if you didn't realize that, you must have been living in a cave for the last 10 years. This is a hot topic wherever you look. And of course, one of the the things that probably brought this issue to public attention in terms of popular culture most recently was in 2015, where a man called Bruce Jenner, who was a very famous uh, American athlete, he was an Olympian, and when he hit uh, 60 plus years, he'd been living as a man that whole time, suddenly came out and said that he believed that he'd actually been a woman on the insides for his whole life. That there was a woman on the inside of this man that had been waiting to come out. And Jenna transitioned fully to live as a woman, both through hormone treatment and surgery. And he was the first transsexual man to appear on the front cover of Vanity Fair under, her new, under his new name, Caitlyn Jenna. And this is what Caitlyn Jenna said. Sexuality is who you are personally attracted to. But gender identity is who you are in your soul. I had a lot of conversations with my family, my close friends, with my pastor, with God, and kind of came to a revelation that maybe I should be honest with myself about who I am and let that person, this woman who has lived inside me for my entire life, finally have an opportunity to live. And the cultural debate around transgender and around gender fluidity has been raging ever since. Whether it's debates around the use of public toilets, personal pronoun usage, gender identity of children, or hormone levels in transgender athletes, you can find this issue right across popular culture. It was a few years ago that Facebook changed its kind of binary options when you were choosing to sign up male and female. It changed it to give you 72 options that you could choose to determine how you identified your own gender. But they were criticized for being too restrictive. And so they have now changed the number of gender options to custom. So you can put in whatever you want now. Recently, Game of Thrones star Sophie Turner says that she doesn't fall in love with people because of their gender, but because of their personality. She has been called pansexual. I, it's, it's not a man or it's a woman. I'm attracted to people because of their personality, regardless of their gender. YouTuber Lily Singh came out as bisexual in February, saying that she considers sexuality to be one of her superpowers. This is the cultural context that you and I live in, and most of the Western world lives in. And these are topics of huge debate. And kind of before we get into some of the issues to see what the Bible says, I think it's important that just for a little bit of a cultural crib sheet so that we know what we're talking about. If you're anything like me, when I came to read about this subject, there was a lot of stuff I realized I didn't understand. There was a lot of terminology that was a bit confusing to me. 
And so here's just some terminology just to help us get on the same page this morning in terms of what we're talking about. So firstly, when we talk about biological sex, we are talking about whether an individual is male or female based on their genetics, i.e. their chromosomes. So if you are a female, all your chromosomes are female. Or your external anatomy. That's what we're talking about when we talk about biological sex, male and female. How we differentiate between the two. Gender dysphoria, however, that is the experience of distress due to the incongruence between biological sex and gender identity. In other words, some people, although they are outwardly born male or female, on the inside there is an incongruence because they feel like they are the opposite of what they have been biologically born as. And medically, scientifically, that is called gender dysphoria. And for most people, their biological sex and their gender identity align. But when people find them in conflict, that is called gender dysphoria. Let me just talk to you about Leo. Leo was uh, featured in a BBC documentary recently, named Louise at birth, born biologically female, had an incredibly tough childhood, two major operations, Uh, Louise's mum was diagnosed with cancer when she was four. And mum died just before Louise's 11th birthday. And Louise was very, uh, did very well at school. She loved music. She loved baking. She was very active in theatre. But unbeknownst to a lot of people, she also grew up struggling with her sense of gender identity. She believed that she should have been born a boy, not a girl. And from about the age of eight, she began to explore what her options were. And finally, she transitioned as a teenager to live as a boy in April 2017. But still so struggled with the inner conflict that was going on around her that Leo sadly ended his life in his own bedroom in 2017. This is what his family said. Leo struggled with his social anxiety and relationships and was worried what others thought of him. He finally took his own life, rather than spend the rest of his life feeling there was no place in the world for those like himself. What you've got to understand about this issue is this issue is about people. It's about people that Jesus loves. It's about people that Jesus bled and died for. People like Leo... (laughs) who so struggled with the conflict that was going on on the inside that he thought his only option was to end his own life. That is not okay. Because Jesus came for people like that. He came for people like that. He loves people like that. At the heart of these issues is actually not issues about public toilets and pronouns. It's about people. It's about people. And so often Christians can be judgmental because we don't take the blinkers off our own eyes to see that this issue is about people that Jesus loves. So important that we remember that. Do you know that attempted suicide rates for those who identify as transgender are very high? 27% for trans young people compared to 11% for all young people. However, note this. Tragically, those who have actually transitioned gender by surgery, are 19 times more likely to die by suicide. 19 times more likely. This is a story about people. Other terms, transgender really is a term covering many different experiences and expressions of this incongruence between biology 
and inner identity. Transsexual is a term for an individual who has experienced this incongruence and who's decided to go through hormone or surgery to actually fully transition from living from one gender to another. Caitlyn Jenner would be a good example of someone who's gone through that treatment. Again, James, 47, from the southeast of England, he wrote this. He said, I am a trans man and have been stalked for over two years now from an unknown person. During this time, I have received anonymous threatening letters. I've had two letters containing razor blades, one which contains a toxic substance which burnt my hands, face, and eyes, and I've been beaten up three times. That is not okay. That is not okay. Do you know the church doesn't stand on the corner with a placard? It stands with those who are bullied. That's where the church should be. It should be right there with people who are in pain, in distress, and hurt. And if I know one thing behind this issue of transgender are people who are confused and hurting. Where should the church be? You should be right there. That's where you should be. That is the church's response. Actually, the church hates bullying in every form. We should stand up against the bullies and for the ones on the margins. That's where we should be the loudest voice for hope. This is a story about people. And then our last term is intersex, which is a condition where your anatomy and chromosomes don't make biological sex clear. In other words, when you're born, your outward or inner biology doesn't make it clear whether you are male or female. This affects about 130 births in the UK every single year. Here's just one story from The Guardian in 2016. When Juliet Swire gave birth to her third son in February 2014, Doctors told her not to tell anyone that he'd been born. She didn't announce Jack's arrival for weeks, not even to close family and friends, because Jack was born with both male and female anatomy, with ovarian and testicular tissue, and genitals that could belong to either a boy or a girl. Now, this affects very few people, but for some people, this is their reality. This is their reality. I don't know if you can imagine, if you are a parent, not being able to announce if your child is a boy or a girl. It's incredibly complex, incredibly difficult. In fact, the day after deciding that I would speak on this subject, a friend of mine came out on Facebook saying he's, he's in his uh, late 20s, early 30s, saying that he'd been born intersex and he'd never told anyone in his whole life. And it was just the day after deciding to speak on the subject. Now, most people that are intersex are, don't suffer with gender dysphoria, but they have a whole complex other set of issues to deal with. And here's the truth. Some of us are directly affected by these issues, either in your family or with your friends or in your workplace. But even if you are not directly affected by this issue now, I tell you, it is heading towards you like an express train. It is going to affect every single one of us at some point in the next few years because this issue is right on the front pages. Just notice this one particular trend. In the last six years... The number of referrals to the child and adolescent gender clinic has gone up by 1,000% in the last six years. This is heading towards you like an express train, my friends, and you need to know what your response is, how you deal with it, how do you live as a Christian and face these issues. This is the cultural perspective that we live in. So what then does the Bible say? All the way through this series, we've been just reiterating this truth, that the Bible is God's blueprint for life. 
We believe the Word of God, and as Christians, it's our job to delve into the Word of God. This is a timeless book that speaks into every context and every generation. It doesn't matter if you first read it a thousand years ago or if you're reading it today. This book speaks into every human issue under the sun. So what does the Bible say about this particular issue? Well, firstly, let me just caveat it by this. Do you know that Jesus was 100% love, but 100% truth? And the two were never in conflict. (laughs) The two were never in conflict. Jesus loves people so extravagantly that his desire is to bring them into a truth which causes them to flourish as human beings. When God draws a boundary, it's not for punishment, it's for promotion. Let me try that this side because he didn't look convinced over there. (laughs) When God draws a boundary, it's not for our punishment, it's for our promotion. In other words, biblical truth is so that human beings flourish. (laughs) Do you know what happens when you obey God? Two things happen. Number one, God gets what he deserves. He deserves your obedience. But another thing that happens, when you obey God, you flourish. Why? Because truth brings you into true freedom. And so when God says, listen, this is the way I've designed things, it's not to curtail human freedom, it's actually to cause humans to flourish, to be who he really created them to be. He has 100% love, but that does not mean that he does not have truth. He draws boundaries, and he says, this is the way to live, walk in it, and I will help you, I will empower you to do it. So what does the Bible say? Well, firstly, it clearly says that gender is binary, It's binary, that God made humans biologically male and female. This is God's creation, his blueprint for creation. We see it right at the start of the story, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And on one occasion where Jesus was asked a question about divorce and remarriage, In the context of answering that question, he reaffirms what we read of in Genesis. This is what he says to the Pharisees, Matthew 19.4. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? It is absolutely unequivocal in Scripture. God did not create us with 72 categories. He created us with two. Male and female, he created them. And Jesus affirms the creational reality that we read of in Genesis chapter 1. And culture would teach you that the way that you find yourself is by looking in and self-diagnosing. But scripture says the way that you find out who you are is by looking up, not down. In other words, you find your identity in Christ. You find your identity in his created order for your life. We don't self-identify as this or that. Actually, we come under the authority of Scripture and say, God, you made me male or you made me female to the glory of God. This is how you defined me and I will live as you created me. It's binary, male and female. And it's a gift from God. If you're a man, praise God that you were born a man. If you are a woman, praise God that you were born a woman. That was not an accident. God formed you in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You were known by him before anyone else knew you. He planned every single one of your days. You are not a happy accident. You are a happy planned person created in the image of God. That's the truth. It's binary. 
Second thing we see from Scripture is this, is that male and female, men and women, were created with pairing and purpose. And we've looked at this in previous weeks, but it just bears repeating again that the very first words you read of in your Bible are actually a clue as to the blueprint for how life is meant to work. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How does the story start? God. Okay, how the story starts is how we're meant to continue. God. Okay, in the beginning, God. That's really important. Not self, God. In the beginning, God. Have him at the center. But then what we find is out of this place of God saying, this is who I am, he begins to create these incredible pairings with purpose. And the creation account is full of those. Masculine language on the one side, feminine language on the other. If you are a Hebrew scholar, which I am not, you will find that the language used in the book of Genesis is both masculine and feminine when it comes to talking about the pairings in God's creation. Light and darkness, land and sea, sun and moon, plants and creatures, man and woman. Genesis continually uses this binary language. I created them in pairs, they complement one another. And that there is something about these pairs that paints a picture of who God is. And it's meant to make us read Genesis and say, right, this is the way life goes. This is the pattern for life. God creates pairs with purpose. You know, we need time to be awake and we need time to be asleep. We need land and we need water. We need food and we need drink. We need male sperm and a female egg. The list goes on. You know, we need, we need dinner and we need pudding. You know, just... <laughs> you, you add to the list, okay? All good things come in pairs. <laughs> That's why you like Harkin does so much. They were meant to go together. <laughs> God made it that way. He fashioned it that way. And when it comes to male and female, God says, man and woman have something unique to all of the rest of creation. They reflect my image to the world. In other words, your biological gender, your biological sex is not an accident. It paints a picture of the glory of God. Do you understand that the glory of God is at stake in this issue? Male and females together paint a picture of what God is like. Colin Smothers, which I just think is a great name, said this. It is good news that God created mankind, male and female. We do not have to suffer under the existential angst of self-definition. It is God who defines us. And God has created and called us male and female, man and woman. Third thing, just to notice from the Bible, is that the body really matters. Your body is not kind of like an incidental detail. <laughs> and one of the big philosophical thoughts that underpins a lot of the gender fluidity debate is a very ancient thought called Gnosticism. And you can read about it in the New Testament. It's a philosophy that Paul was speaking into to the Corinthians, for example. And Gnosticism has many different tenets and, and facets, but one of them is to say, the body really is just immaterial. It's kind of just matter and fluid and tissue. What really matters is who you think you are. That's Gnosticism, where you separate the sacredness of the body from the sacredness of the spirit. 
And one of the great lies of the gender fluidity debate is this, is that really your biological body doesn't matter. It's just flesh and tissue. What really matters is who you believe you are on the inside. That's one of the philosophies underpinning the gender fluidity debate. But scripture says your body is important. Your body matters. Your body was created by God to give him glory. Here's just a snapshot of some of what scripture says about the importance of the body. So for example, we read this, that we have been reconciled by Christ's physical body. Colossians 1.22, it matters that Jesus was bodily raised from the dead. Because in the same way that he was raised from the dead in the body, so one day you'll be raised from the dead at the last day. It matters that his body was raised. Paul, when he's talking to unmarried ladies in Corinthians, says that they should be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.9, Paul says, We make it our aim to please God, whether we are at home in the body or away from it with Jesus. You understand that your body was made a suitable home by God. It's not immaterial, it's important, it matters. And finally, as if just to paint the picture fully, Paul says, your body is now a temple of the Holy Spirit, therefore we should honour God with our bodies. Understand that you can't just look at your biology and say, this is not who I am. It's an integral part of who you are. God made you that way. The body matters. And therefore, we honor God with the body that he gave us. Some athletic, like my own. (laughs) We honor God with the body that he gave us. So thirdly, let's move on to some heavenly postures, which is about demonstrating Jesus' values. Do you know that you can have the right principles, but your attitude can still suck? <laughs> anyone? No, actually, don't wave your hands. But have you, anyone ever come across a Christian that had the right principle, but a lousy attitude? I've been that person many times. You know, in fact, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, listen, You can give all you possess to the poor, but if you don't have love, then it counts for nothing. You can have the right principle, but if you don't have love, you may as well not do it. That's what Paul's saying. You can believe the right thing, but act towards people in a lousy way so that you actually do more damage than when you went in in the first place. And sadly, that has been the experience of so many people in the transgender community when they've come into contact with Christians. Christians who are standing for their principles but have no heavenly postures towards people. Do you understand that both count? Many people will not remember what you say, but they will remember how you said it. You can sometimes be so right and be so wrong at the same time. And if you ask the average person, probably in the transgender community, what is your impression of the church? One of the first things they would say is, what would they say? Judgmental. Judgmental. Isn't that sad? That we can have the right principles, but the lousy posture towards people. And Jesus, of course, had the beautiful combination of both. And this is by no means an exhaustive list, but here are a few ways that we should live, I believe, towards people in the transgender community. Firstly, 
Compassion. Compassion. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Do you know, we, the truth is we don't always know how to handle complex issues in people's lives. We don't always have an easy answer. You, don't, you can't always just pull out the blue pill from your pocket and say, take that, it'll all be okay. We, we, we can't do that. Issues are complex. We don't always know what we should do. But what we know we can do is we can love people in a way that they have never been loved before by another human being. You are not in control of the outcome, but I tell you, you are in control of your choices. Paul says, clothe yourselves with compassion. Clothe yourselves. In other words, make a deliberate decision. I am going to be the most compassionate person on planet Earth. And when people come into contact with me, they are going to come into contact with the Father's love. It doesn't matter how, how damaged, how hurting, how chaotic their lifestyle is. When they meet me, they're going to meet Jesus. They're going to meet his love in me. You can't decide what they're going to choose, but I tell you, you can decide what you're going to choose. <laughs> you're going to choose to show compassion and love and to reach out. Sylvia from 30, she's a transgender lady. She said this about her experience in the workplace. She said, I was bullied into self-harm in the workplace, suicidal ideation, and I resigned as I felt I had no other option. I am now struggling to get a job because I am transgender. Guys, that is not okay. If that happens in your workplace, you should be the one that gives an outpouring of compassion to people. You should be the first person at that person's door and say, I'm so sorry that you had that experience. That was wrong. And I'm going to be your friend. And I'm going to stand with you. And I'm going to get alongside you. Come to my home. I'm here for you. You should be the first person to make that response. Not the last. Compassion. And the word compassion is a very interesting word in Scripture. Every time the word compassion appears in the ministry of Jesus, is followed by power. The, the word compassion, again, if you're a Greek scholar, correct me at the end. But the pronunciation of the word compassion is splagnizomehi. Splagnizomehi. And it literally means a deep inner moving in the very deepest place of your humanity. And so when we read of Jesus looking on the crowds, it says he looked on the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That word is splagnizomehi. There was something going on in his gut that made him go, I love these people and I want to help them. Is that happening in you? Splagnizomehi. Have you had any splagnizomehi recently? <laughs> when you've come into contact with someone who's hurting or broken, or confused, or on the margins? Have he had that deep inner moving that Jesus had? And as I say, whenever that word appears, it's followed by the word power. In other words, there's always action that follows compassion. Sometimes for Jesus, it's feeding the 5,000. Sometimes it's teaching on the hillside. Sometimes it's healing the sick. Sometimes it's setting the oppressed free. But wherever you find compassion, it's followed by action. It's followed by power. Now again, that word power is very interesting. Now stay with me. This is an important train of thought. Power is an important word in the New Testament. It comes from the word dunamis, by which we get the word dynamite. 
And Gordon Fee, one theologian, says that the word power is used in two ways in the New Testament. Firstly, when the word power occurs in the New Testament, it signifies miraculous breakthroughs. Just the suddenlies of God. So prison doors suddenly fly open. People's bodies suddenly get healed. People suddenly get miraculous breakthrough. Power. But he said it's used in a second way, which is where we receive joy, miraculous joy, in our circumstances that God doesn't change. And his power is actually seen in both. So for the Apostle Paul, for example, on one occasion when he's in Malta, he gets bitten by a snake, but he doesn't die. Miraculous power, dunamis. Immediately he gets a miracle in the moment. But on other occasions, Paul is flogged, he's beaten, and he's thrown into prison, and he sings songs. That's also miraculous power. How many of you know if you endure hardship with joy, that is an evidence of the Holy Spirit resting on your life? God doesn't always give you an instant breakthrough. Sometimes he changes your relationship to your circumstances. (laughs) He doesn't always just open the prison door and say, right, come out now. Sometimes he gives you joy to endure the prison that you're in. And that is just as evidence of the grace of God. Now, I'll just give you an example in my own life, and I'm not in any way comparing this to gender dysphoria, but it's an example. You know, I've had eczema since the day I was born, which basically is I've been itchy for 43 years. And uh, <clears throat> I've been prayed for many times to be healed, and I've not been healed. And if anything, at times it's got worse the older I've got. But you know what God has done? He's given me joy in my circumstances. He's given me the ability to trust him, even though outwardly nothing's changed. Yet I can exist in it, knowing that he's for me, and that he loves me, and that he gives me grace for the circumstances in which I find myself. That is evidence of the power of God. And what happens when you respond with compassion towards people, you invite the power of God to show up. Sometimes it will be sudden breakthroughs, but more often than not, it will be God's grace coming to people in their circumstances. Both are evidence of the grace of God. And your compassion invites God onto the page of people's lives. I would suggest to you that we need a fresh baptism of compassion. That there is no power without compassion. And one of the things that I felt convicted by in preparing this message is that I do not yet have enough compassion. I know I don't. I know that I am not sufficiently moved by the heart of God on this issue. And that's one thing that I would urge us as a church to be praying for. God, baptize me with compassion. Because I know wherever that's present, your power is not far behind. Compassion. Second value that we can live by is family. Luke 15.1 says that tax collectors and sinners were all gathering to hear Jesus. That word gathering literally means they were coming close. They were drawing close to Jesus. In fact, so much so that religious people started to grumble. (laughs) Religious people started to grumble because of who was round Jesus' dinner table. You know, sometimes that you are the best answer to your best prayers. When you say, God... Will you please just reach into the transgender community? Will you please send someone? You're like, yeah, I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to send you. (laughs) 
You're going to be the best answer to some of your best prayers. He's going to send you because you carry the heart of God. You carry the hope of the world in your heart. You've got the best good news here than anyone on this planet. For people who are confused and struggling and hurting and broken and have questions, he will send you. And one of the best things that you can do is to open your home to the point where religious people complain about who's around your table. That is the new watermark. I would suggest I certainly have not hit that watermark yet. When was the last time people complained because of who you invited to dinner? When? This issue will not be changed until we invite people around our dinner tables, into our homes, give them keys to our houses, and say, my family is your family. This is a place of belonging for you. It won't change until we do that. And that is what Jesus models. <laughs> that is a new watermark. Uh, religious people won't like it when you invite people with chaotic issues in their lives around you. They won't. They just won't. It offends the religious spirit. But we're called to build family. One transgender individual was asked, what sort of support would you have liked to see from the church? And they said, someone to cry with me rather than denounce me. They said, hey, it's scary to see God not rescue someone from cancer or schizophrenia or gender identity disorder, but learn to allow your compassion to overcome your fear and repulsion. Family. Andrew Walker puts it like this. Though it may bring new conversations and experiences, many of us will not understand. Ministry to those with gender dysphoria means walking with each precious soul through what could be years of psychological valleys. Only Christians humble enough to recognize their own brokenness will be capable of walking with people through struggles that seem very different from their own. It takes humility, and it takes the humility of recognizing I'm broken as well. Jesus came for this broken soul. He came for all of us. There's no difference. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Christ came for every one of us. And thirdly, in a moment, we're going to watch a video together. Wisdom. The wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. Notice that the wisdom of Scripture is not just cleverness. Just notice the wisdom here it's talking about. Peace-loving, gentle, willing to yield to others. If you live like that, the Bible says you're wise. That's challenging, isn't it? It's not about your intellect. It's not about amassing lots of knowledge. It's about living in this kind of a way. And I truly believe that wisdom is going to be one of the greatest culture-shaping gifts that the people of God are going to cry out for in this next season. God, will you give us the gift of wisdom? If knowledge is knowing what is happening, wisdom is to know what to do with what you know. <laughs> wisdom. And I think there's a few ways that we can be wise. Number one, be wise in your language towards people who are experiencing gender dysphoria. Don't make jokes about it. Don't be the guy in the office who makes a joke about the effeminate man or the person who's dressing differently. Just don't be that person. Because your language can either be a weapon or it can be an invitation towards Christ. Your language really counts, and particularly online. Particularly online, just be careful what you like. Be careful what you comment on. Be careful how you express yourself because we are having one conversation that the whole world is joining in on. You cannot say one thing in one place and not expect it to be heard in another. So let your language be consistently honoring, loving, humble, gentle, wise. Secondly, 
Be wise in your gender stereotypes. Oh, man, if I had more time, I would talk about this. Not all men like wrestling and not all women like dressmaking. Hallelujah. Amen. We live with some incredibly unhelpful gender stereotypes, which sometimes inadvertently push people towards a gender dysphoria that they wouldn't otherwise have had. We are people with all our complexity and breathtaking differences and beauty. And there are so many things that aren't in the Bible that we say as if they were. This is what Andrew Bunt, who was with us last week, said. He said, every time we iterate an unbiblical stereotype about gender in the church, we cause those who don't fit that mold to feel uncomfortable and to believe that they need to try to be a certain way in order to be a real man or a real woman. We undermine the freedom of the gender binary and replace it with the oppression of gender stereotypes. I wonder how many men and women are sitting in our churches feeling like they don't really make the cut because they don't fit the common stereotypes. Guys, let's eradicate unhelpful gender stereotypes. It's not helping our cause. And then lastly, be wise in the public spaces of life. So now a placard and biblical text are unlikely to change someone's mind in your workplace. You need a better strategy. You need to be wise. You need to be wise how you handle this issue, particularly in the workplace. I think there is a few key things that can help us, and we've got lots more resources if you want help with this sort of thing. But I think a few areas that will help in terms of public discussion and conversation with people. For example, there is already very good logical and scientific argument to suggest that we shouldn't just listen to the mind and not the body. Anorexia would be a good example. We instinctively know that not every perception that you have about reality is true. We know that already. And it's helpful just to remind people about the logic involved in thinking that gender is just fluid and who you think you are is who you are. Actually, we instinctively know that that's not true. And it's helpful just to remind people of those examples. It's interesting to note that 80% of children who go to a gender reassignment clinic change their mind by the time they reach adolescence. 80%. In other words, we change our minds all the time. And there are some things that the mind alone should not get to determine the truth and validity of. Second thing that can help is just to point people towards the experience and the evidence of detransitioners, i.e. people that have gone through gender reassignment surgery and hormone treatment, but have then realized it wasn't the answer and have transitioned back. Those are not the stories that you'll hear on BBC News. But there are stories out there, people who've written about that experience. One lady, Laura Jansen, said, to a person undergoing gender transition, in the beginning it feels like the right thing to do, even exciting for the first few months or years. I felt at peace for the first four or five years after I transitioned, but then I realized the high cost of that tenuous peace. It's a marvelous distraction for a while, but it isn't a permanent solution when the underlying issues remain unaddressed. That's just one snapshot of someone who detransitioned. Find those stories. So what's the conclusion? We've seen three things. Culturally, it's complex out there. <laughs> what are you called to do? Love people really well. Biblically, we've seen that gender is binary. Our identity is in Christ, not in self. And then heavenly, we've seen compassion, family, and wisdom. And you know, ultimately, all of us need Jesus. 
It doesn't matter what issues we're struggling, whether it's this or whether it's some other issue. All of us, our hope is in Christ. He is a great saviour for every situation that we find ourselves in. Amen? Let's stand together and let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Guys, if you just this morning want to respond to needing a fresh baptism of compassion, I just want to invite you to invite just to lift your hands where you are. And I just want to pray for us. You know, compassion starts with a decision. It starts with what Paul says, clothe yourself with compassion. And for many of us, this is just a first decision into a lifestyle of greater compassion. Remember, these stories are about people that Jesus loves, that he bled for, that he died for, that he created. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask for a baptism of your compassion. God, let us be the most compassionate people that our friends and family ever encounter. Lord, we pray that you'd remove from us the the label of judgmental and instead replace it with compassionate. That when I met those Christians, I encountered compassion. I actually met the real Jesus. Lord, I pray for people around our dinner tables, people who've got keys to our home, people that look different than us, people that have different issues than us. But nevertheless, we invite in, we welcome, because we're meant to be good news. Father, I just pray, be on us in this season. Help us to handle timeless truths in a timely way. Baptize us with compassion. Give us wisdom. And Father, we pray for everyone who is walking through gender dysphoria. And we say, come Holy Spirit, come and meet their needs, meet their deepest needs for a Savior called Jesus. And we ask this in your mighty name today. Amen. Amen.